Hey, Mike, where'd you get these endless summer movie tickets from? Whoa, I love those. That's from my endless summer box set. Ooh, where'd you get that from? The link is in the show notes, baby. Went down to Wyoming Bay. What a fantastic sunny day. Boys and girls hanging around. Surfers going up and down. That's when I cut my way. Knew what to do. Surfed that way right to the shore. And it's dreams come true. Hey everybody, welcome to the Quivercast. I am Mike, your host. Let's get into the show. All right, welcome back to the Quivercast, everyone. Our super special guest is Jesse Fain. How you doing, Jesse? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I'm stoked. Thank you for doing this. You're kind of a man that's been in surfing your whole life and kind of like done it all, dude. Like, and you rip. Well, cheers. I mean, I'm just stoked to be a part of it. Like I, we were just talking, like I've seen a lot of the people you've been chatting to in the last few years on this podcast and it's rad to be a part of it because so many dear friends and people who, um, you know, I've looked up to since the day I started surfing have been on it and people I, you know, I consider some of my closest friends. Um, so, you know, it's just rad to be with another guy who loves surfing and, and get a chance to talk about the history that I've known, that I've been a part of and where we're at now. Right on. What do you think the state of surfing is and then the state of pro surfing? What's um, your thoughts? Look, I'm the biggest fan of surfing. So I think surfing from day one has always been a special thing that anyone who's able to do it is just living well. So, you know, regardless of what kind of equipment you're on, what you're doing on a wave, if you're out there surfing or you're watching people surfing, we're winning if we're in that category. Yeah. I so like that. I don't think that's ever changed. How we approach it is, you know, it's just like how people approach making art or how they make music. It's, you know, different interpretations, but it's all just like that, oh, awesome, like that. that awesome pursuit of doing something that we, we fall in love with. So like, I think surfing's, you know, as special today to me and to everyone doing it as it ever has been pro surfing, you know, that's, you know, that's a different thing. That's like, that's people trying to figure out how to obviously, bring it together in a packaged form and make a business out of it and entertainment. And, and, you know, that's open to so much interpretation and I'm no authority on what's the right way or the wrong way to do that. I think, you know, it's, it's cool to see the events today. I'm as much a fan today of watching a good surfing event as I ever was. But I think the main thing that I see and obviously I'm not alone in seeing this is just there's so much more opinions that get vocalized today than there ever used to be. Like, you know, I grew up in an era and I was super fortunate that I got to work in that industry, which was surf magazines were like the yeah. epicenter of what pro surfing was. Um, and then like videos and then DVDs and like movies obviously preceded some of that stuff. You know, the ASP event started becoming webcast. I was involved in that kind of transition. And then with social media, you know, it changed so much because, you know, everyone who was at home who used to only get these like once a month sort of outlets 
suddenly right. were like every day seeing it as the, as it was happening and commenting and vocalizing their opinion. So it's just there's so much more opinion and it's so much more diluted, I think. But the essence mm. is exactly the same. Like it's people doing what they love. Some people doing it maybe better than others. Some people being more fortunate than others, getting a, a career out of it. But what we do is exactly the same. We, we paddle out. We get to leave whatever's on the land on the land and go have an experience in the ocean, which is pure, um, hopefully. And, you know, I, I love both sides of that, the surfing side and the, the professional side, the same as I ever have, I think. Rad. Good answer. Let me ask you this. Is surfing art? You kind of mentioned it. You, you use that word. I, I think so. Uh, yeah, okay. 100%. I mean, it, to me, it's not a sport. It's a. It's obviously... For some people, it's a, a hobby or a pastime that they do occasionally. For me, it's like my life. Um, it, it's right. been my life since the beginning of it coming to me. And I've navigated my entire life and lifestyle based around the desire to be surfing. You know, it's not all about the, what you do on the wave. It's the whole lifestyle. So to me, how I represent myself on a wave, you know, that's my artistic outlet, 100%. Like in... You know, I have these conversations with my daughter a lot because she's like a, a young, passionate surfer now. And, you know, I always am talking to her from that point of view. It's like, you know, it's your artwork. Like, go do what you like. Learn as much as you can about the history, about the different equipment, about what other people do. But then put that all into your own expression and, and go out there and do what feels right for you. And, and that's art. Can we talk about your daughter for one second? Yeah, I'd love to because she today when I was taking her to school, I mentioned I was going to be chatting to you. And she's like, oh, do you talk about me when you do a podcast? And I was like, <laughs> I probably will. Okay. What's your daughter's name? Gypsy. Is Gypsy a competitive surfer? She has been in a few events and she okay. has a competitive like nature that mm -hmm. I've never wanted to push her into competition. I really wanted to make sure that was something she asked to do before I ever like really exposed her because I've spent so much of my life around competition and I'm not a great competitive surfer. I never was. Like I, I used to compete. I've been around events my whole life. I love being at contests because it's like that nucleus of so many people who love surfing. and Like the tribe? 100%. And some people, you know, harness that energy that's at a contest and especially in the time of a heat and like rise to the occasion i feel like i always surfed less than my ability whenever i was in a heat like i would the nerves never made me surf better they, it was the mm -hmm. opposite but i i watched my daughter and you know when she paddles out in a heat all of a sudden she's like paddling harder she's got more like ambition to do a turn than she normally does like i love it I, for her you know I, I hope she wants to continue doing it because I do see she's got a natural affinity to surfing. And if she can, you know, if she competes, I think, you know, it'll help her surfing, which is really cool. She got into surfing for love. Did you like, how old was she when you got her kind of standing up or paddling that with her or whatever? I mean, she was at six weeks old. I took her stand up yeah. paddling um, and she would like be in like a, a baby carrier and fall asleep yeah. on me. And I just wanted her familiar with being on the water and, um, so she's been exposed to being at the beach and in the water from as early as it you could. And then, I, you know, when she was old enough and could swim, I would take her on the board and catch little waves with her on the front and did that for years wherever possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I mean, we live in L.A., but we lived in Chile for a year when she was only like, you know, basically three 
you know, the water's freezing down there. So she really didn't get in the water at all during that time. I'd say from four onwards, she's been in the water a lot, probably by the age of six or seven was like paddling and catching waves by herself. So yeah, it's been so rad to be a dad and share that experience with her as often as I can. So you were a, a stoked Grom when you started surfing. Is she a stoked Grom? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the difference, I think, is my parents didn't surf. Right, your I, first generation. Yeah, and so I grew up where this was something for me, and my parents didn't understand. They supported me to go do it, but they, you know, it wasn't their life or their culture. And so I really forged my own friendships with surfers. I really like was so dedicated to it, and my friends were involved in it, whereas my daughter, most of her friends don't surf. It's, so it's been a different thing. She, it's been an experience with me, and now I'm starting to see she's 13 now, so I'm starting mm-hmm. to see it like her friendship is developing with other surfers, and, and that's mm-hmm. so rad to see because that's it's really starting to kind of sprout now because she's starting to spend more time with other surfers and like go that's do rad. it by themselves. Yeah, 100%. Is there a lot more females, do you think, in the water today than there was 30 years ago, 20 years ago? For sure. Um, I mean, I grew up at North Narrabeen in Sydney, and there was one or two girls. My entire time surfing, there was a couple of women who were older and then, like, a couple younger. You know, now you paddle out at North Narrabeen or anywhere, and there's, like, you know, a third the lineup probably is women, and it's amazing. Like, you know. It's so rad. So here where I live in LA, I surf at Topanga usually. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a couple of girls there and women who are always out there. You know, it's still, you know, the ratio isn't like 50-50, but, you know, it's changing. And thankfully for it, it's like a different energy in the water. Let's go back to pro surfing, women and all that. Let's just talk about that for a minute. And us being two males, I guess, we're coming from a different perspective. But in my opinion, especially WSL, with the new women coming up in the pro surfing, it's almost more exciting than watching the guys right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's undeniable the last few years, the progression and just that stoke of the young girls coming up has just yeah. been unparalleled. Like Katie Simmers and like right. girls like that and like that that whole generation. And, you know, there's so many preceding them, you know, obviously Steph Gilmore and so many great surfers that have been super successful for you know, the last couple of decades, really, there's been so many great surfers in the female realm, but like the young generation, the level has just jumped through the roof. So it's just jumping. Yeah. yeah, Still jumping. It's amazing. It's a good time for your daughter to like get into surfing, to be a woman surfer. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, she's been very lucky to like, you know, get to meet some of those surfers that she like saw and looked up to. And it's just, it's so cool. Like, it's so cool just to like watch that stoke. Like I took her down to the trestles event i don't know what year it was took her out of school one day and we drove down to trestles and she got to meet bethany hamilton and it was just wow. like she was so stoked to meet someone like that because you know bethany right. transcends the like surfing kind of thing to like a whole nother level you know and then she's gotten to surf with like steph gilmore and people like that and become friends with steph which is super special and wow and things like that so you know it's i can't speak for my daughter but it, it's really special for me to get to see her exposed to it and um you know get to go surf with these people and and just mm-hmm. you know realize it's you know it's accessible to her future if she wants to like not necessarily being an eight-time world champ but you know like to get to surf for the rest of her life and to compete and to travel and and live a lifestyle which she can have you know those 
idols in front of her, showing her that it's completely available to her if she wants to keep putting her passion kind of or put dedication towards that. That's right. So overall, she just loves surfing and you guys, and you totally support it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've been very fortunate. I've traveled around the world my entire life following surfing and I've been able to take her on a lot of trips around the world now. Like we've, you know, it blows my mind when I think of like, you know, we've gone surfing in, in Wales in in England, wow. in Spain, in France, in Australia, in Chile, and El Salvador, and Hawaii, like all these different places. And like she had been to most of those places by the time she was 10. I was just like, wow, what a life. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so I can't relate, but I mean, that's so cool for her and, and you to, to see her grow as a surfer. Cool for me, definitely. Like, you know, I think it's cool for her, but again, I can't speak for her. She's a 13-year-old. With right. Her. If, if I tell her it's cool, she'll tell me it's not. So. Right. There you go. Okay. All right. So we'll get back to Jesse, but that's cool. I'm glad she serves. Is it – so my son serves, but so is it cool raising a second-generation server? You know, I'm just so grateful that, you know, I get to share what is so important to me with her and try to make her, you know, realize how lucky we are to get to do that. Like, you know. My heart goes out to the people around the world who don't get the opportunity to go to the beach and like jump in the ocean and, and surf on a regular basis. Like, you know, I just know I'm lucky that I get to do that in this lifetime to share that with her and for her to appreciate that. Like the other morning, I woke her up in the dark before school and we got to run down to go to the beach and watch the sunrise. And, you know, and she was so excited to see the sunrise while we're sitting out in the ocean. I was just like, man, like these moments are just precious. You know, the right. surfing is secondary. It's just like sharing time that's like in nature, away from like devices and distractions and just appreciate little moments like that. All right. Now let's go way backwards. So Jesse, are you an American citizen, Australian citizen? I got dual citizenship. Yeah. Perfect. Born in Australia. Mum's from San Francisco area and um, I've gone back and forth my whole life. I've actually spent more of my life away from Australia than in Australia now and probably okay. like you know, equal amount of time living in California to living in Australia. So how did the whole surf thing start for you? Uh, we moved to Narrabeen just before I turned 10. I'd gone to the beach in San Francisco where I was living until I was about seven. But when we got to Narrabeen, my dad was working at a TV station in Australia. And I think someone he was working with gave him an old single fin because we had moved to the beach. My dad brought back that board and so will remember that very first experience of smelling the wax and putting wax on this board, this blue fiberglass single fin with this wooden fin and carrying it and just feeling like intimidated and, you know, getting down to the beach and being really scared at the idea of trying to paddle because my dad didn't surf and I didn't have, right. a, I didn't have a teacher and there was no one on the beach. I just remember like there was little waves, but like I had to try to yeah. figure out how do I get out there? And then like I got out there never caught a wave, paddled in, and that was my first surf. But I was hooked. Like I was hooked yeah. on that experience of being in the ocean, feeling like I was doing something that was challenging, scary, but there was an undeniable like sense of fun and pride that came immediately with just being a surfer now. Do you remember catching your first wave? I don't remember catching a wave on that board. I remember the next board that my dad pretty soon after got me a smaller board that was kind of like a knee board that had a single fin, and I couldn't carry it, so he built me this little rack that the the <laughs> tail would go in these two little wheels so I could kind of walk That's it right. down the street by holding the nose and the tail would be on these wheels. And okay. 
that board was probably, you know, 22 inches wide or something like that. So it was really stable. And I remember right, getting right. up in whitewashes on that. And, and that was the beginning of my like surfing actually beginning, which is funny because like the boards that I've really surfed the majority of my life on and loved have been like, you know, traditional kind of San Diego style skip fry fishes, mm-hmm. um, which really are similar to that kind of first boards outline that I had. Okay. So are you guys walking distance from the beach? In, at Narrabeen? Yeah. The house that we lived in at Narrabeen was probably two blocks um, from the beach. And wow, okay, cool. So yeah, I got introduced to living right next to the beach. And um, so, you know, I would be there as often as I could. And we've moved a few times, but my mother still lives right on the beach at North Narrabeen right now, like a block away. Oh my gosh, rad. Well, was Narrabeen beach culture? You, do you remember that? Like how the people were around the neighborhood? Yeah, 100%. I mean, North Narrabeen, even to this day, is like one of the most significant surfing beaches right. in the world, I would say. It's 100% for Australia and back then even more so because I would go to the beach. Terry Fitzgerald would be down there surfing. Wow. Damien Hardman would be out there surfing. You know, I grew up with Nathan Webster and Chris Davidson. There was the Fitzgerald brothers, the Calpert, like so Bannister brothers, so huge many huge names, huge names. Mark Warren, like all these legends of surfing, like were the people who were in the lineup every time I paddled out. Tom Carroll would be out there whenever there was a good swell. Um, you know, it, it's just the northern beaches of Sydney when I was growing up was so competitive, and we had world champions. Like Damien Hubman was a world champion. You know, when I was like just beginning my surfing and he yeah, was like, 88 or something. Uh, uh, he was 87, uh, 87. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, just like seeing him out there every day though, and then watching him win his world title and, you know, it's just, it was super inspiring just to be around those kinds of people with that talent. But, you know, even from the industry point of view, there was just so many innovators and, you know, like Simon Anderson, like just all these people who changed the landscape of surfing were, were familiar people to me. So it was very, um, you know, I just was very fortunate to be in the mix of a lot of passionate, talented surfers that I got to like watch and get to know and surf with and do a lot of things with over the years. So it was, um, yeah, Narrabeen's a really special place. Like it's been cool over the last few years, like with WSL has done like some events there and getting mm-hmm. just to see it again. And, you know, I grew up at a time when like we had the, um, like there was the pro junior that was like the biggest junior event, which it kind of morphed into the world junior titles. But like for years, yeah. Terry Fitzgerald had the pro junior at North Narrabeen and like, you know, all the best surfers of that age group would come to my home beach and surf. And like, I would have guys like Ross Williams and Shane Dorian staying at my house and wow. Kelly Slater coming over. Like I remember when Kelly won, like, you know, Kelly won it in 92 in January and then that December was the world champion in the same year he won like the pro junior at my local beach and then was the world champion so it's like insane and like so many people were always at Narrabeen that were just at the the highest level of surfing so it was so you know I was not anywhere near the realm of what their surfing was like but I was exposed to it and I mm-hmm. got I, I got to go You're surfing next to them yeah exactly so like I you know I benefited by the environment that I was in for sure as you're young Grom getting to know what surfing is and you're seeing these guys, was it intimidating surfing? 
I remember being intimidated by Tara Fitzgerald. Like I remember going for early surfs and he was just like, you know, the Sultan of speed. And he was just this big masculine, like built guy who would just be flying down waves in the alley rights. I, I have these memories of paddling out to seeing him flying towards me and just like being scared if I didn't really quickly get out of the way, I was going right. to no longer exist. But um, I mean, Terry's a great guy. I, I got a, nothing but respect for him, but um, of course, but yeah, intimidating just in the sense of like, you know, it wasn't necessarily easy to get the best waves in the lineup for sure. Such a very real pecking order at Narrabeen. And, you know, like I used to suffer Grom abuse all the time. Like it was, okay, a, cool. it was a different era. Like, you right. know, I got tied up naked in the parking lot. Um, Did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like Narrabeen was a different breed than most beaches um, as far as like, that you know 80s like late 70s 80s sort of um oh, you funny. know just different beach culture and narrabeen was definitely a rough spot back then do you appreciate those times or do you think man i wish it was a little different like more like today i mean i appreciate it for sure like i i learned from day one to respect your elders to respect people who you know had more experience to you know, know your place in a lineup. And like, I, I didn't even dare paddle over to the alley left. Like I would stay on the inside corner until either none of those guys were out there or I got good enough to know I could hold my own around them. And, you know, I think that's super important in a lineup. Like a lineup has room for, you know, people who are beginning and people who are world champ level if people stay in their lane so to speak but when everyone's just like thinking they can do whatever they want then you know that just never works that well so there's good and bad to it for sure but and some people take the good and bad to extremes but i think ultimately that that essence of surf etiquette is super important the the older generation that kind of enforce it and educate the younger generation if done correctly, is super important and helpful to those younger people coming up. I think one of the things that, you know, in Australia that was really beneficial as a young surfer for, at least speaking for myself, was the board riders events that we had, which, you know, there you go. that's happening now here. And it's super yeah. cool. Like I'm part of the Northern LA board riders club mm -hmm. and it's, it's so cool to see the community come together where the, the kids, whether it's the kids of, you know, older surfers or whether it's just kids who parents are getting them into surfing are part of these like gatherings of the local community with the older surfers kind of, you know, looking out for the younger surfers, helping, you know, motivate them, educate them, and just like letting them see that there's a, a lineage here and like, you know, there's support, but there's also lessons you got to learn. And like growing up at Narrabeen, like we would have every month we'd have a competition. And like I said, we'd have world champions in the competition, but we'd also have so grommets like me. It would be intimidating, of course, to paddle out in the heat with one of these great surfers. But at the same right. time, it was like, you, you learn, like, you know, those guys were you one day. So you just got to kind of keep progressing and pay your dues and, and, yeah, it was super helpful. Like, you know, push your surfing, definitely push, push your surfing, but just to also, you know, I, I grew up with that sense of like, if I pay my dues and if I'm respectful, like one day I'll get to like 
be the guy out there who gets the better waves. And it like, I didn't expect to get that from day one where I think a lot of people now just like mm. skip so many of those stages thinking that right. oh, if they can paddle out on a softboard, they can paddle out to the back and take off on right. a set. And it's like that sense of entitlement that some people kind of seem to have these days. Uh, you know, I sure as hell didn't have that as a kid at Narrabeen. Like I was like, I was lucky to get whatever scrap I could get. And if I got in without hassled by the older people, I, I would consider that a good day. And then like... <laughs> when those guys started to like not just make fun of me or drop in on me but like show a little respect towards me then I felt like you know like I've, I've kind of arrived like I've made it I've paid my dues and I'm like I'm one of these guys now and it, it was a special feeling to feel like I was a part of that group yeah so you progressed through the the board riders are you doing amateur events too are you are like what's competitive surfing to you at this point well when yeah, I was like grom. yeah when I was a grom I was doing board riders events at Narrabeen. Then we would have, you know, there was a lot of different events. We had like the local, uh, like the Northern Beaches kind of regional events. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't a super successful competitive surfer when I was young. Like right. I, I would That's make it asking. to like state titles. I never made it to the Australian titles. You know, there was the Australasian kind of junior circuit. I wasn't doing those. So I was doing like some of the junior events. I would travel to a few different states to some of those events you know, I was lucky that I got sponsored and I got into magazines and I, you know, I was doing okay in some of the local regional events. But like I said, like I grew up surfing against guys who were like the best surfers in the world. So like I, right. I never considered myself on their level. I was always just hoping to keep getting better with my surfing. And ultimately, you know, I, I knew pretty early on that I wasn't better than them and I didn't see myself having a chance in that very narrow pathway of trying to compete for my kind of career i just you know i i really was like you know i love surfing i want to surf i love being around these events but you know a different pathways opened up for me very fortunately that's what i was gonna say so you still love surfing so you went a different route which is almost a better route so yeah. when you start working for the mags and stuff is what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, the magazine thing came my way. It wasn't like I was looking for it. Um, mm -hmm. Andrew Kidman, who you might know that name. I he, do. So Andrew grew up in Narrabeen as well. So like I used to surf with Andrew, and he was the editor of Waves magazine when I was in high school. And 15 or 16, um, we had a thing at school called Work Experience where like a week out of the year you got to go – watch someone at their job instead of be at school for a week and so like i had no idea what i was going to do at that age all i wanted to do was surf and i remember asking andrew like do you think i could do work experience with you and so he, i basically did but we only went to his office i think maybe two or three days of the week one day mm -hmm. we just surfed another day i had to go to a surfing competition so like he let me just go from that very limited time with him I think I planted the seed in his mind that I was interested in what he did and he already knew me as a surfer, but like he saw me just being interested also in like how he put a magazine together. Mm -hmm. and anyway, fast forward, you know, four years or so later, four or five years later, and he asked me, like at this point, I'd already spent a year traveling around the world. I'd gone to university. I was studying psychology and he called me and was like, hey, I'm going to leave my job. I think you'd be a good guy to like interview for the job if you want to like if you're interested and he just put my name, you know, in the mix of people. That yeah, should, that. yeah. And so like I went through this whole interview process and, you know, unexpectedly got offered the job to be the editor of waves magazine when I was 20. And, you know, that really wasn't something I was looking to do. I was, I was really committed and into studying psychology at university, but um, 
surfing kind of pulled me back and brought me back to what I loved the most, which was like that lifestyle and, and not necessarily the competitive side, but just, you know, the essence of surfing and however that gets represented. And so I got to do that at the magazine. That's rad. So you work for waves for a while and then you jump over to surfing. Yeah. Then, so Steve Zeldin, who was, um, at the time, the editor of Surfing Magazine, I'd met him in Hawaii. Like I was over in Hawaii for Waves Magazine, met Steve. Yeah, He asked me to write some stories for Surfing Magazine just to like cover some events in Australia that were happening. Did that and then the conversation just kind of opened up one day where he was like, oh, would you ever consider like coming over here and working at the mag? And I was like, well, I, I got US citizenship. I could before I knew it. Yeah, I was living in San Clemente, and I was like wow. an editor at Surfing Magazine when I was, I guess, 23. Wow. And you're surfing, obviously, all the time. And Surfing Magazine, in the United States at least, is you know the premier magazine. Yeah, well, there was Surfing and Surfer. And, right. you know, at surfing the time, was a little more progressive, maybe, in my opinion. Yeah, it was definitely focused more on the progressive side. And, you know, I got to work with Skip Sneed. Nick Carroll was like an editor at large in Australia. And... Zelda there and then you know it was just it was amazing like got to work with Flame like Larry Moore and and just yeah. being in that office there in San Clemente like with Bob McNona and like you know so many people I could list it was just from when I was the editor at Waves magazine it was like me and an art director was basically the whole magazine as well as yeah. like the contributors that I would try to get photographers and writers to do stuff for the mag but it was basically me and a guy in an office putting the whole thing together <laughs> When I got to surfing, there was like, you know, 20 people in the team. building. Exactly. So yeah. it was it was a totally different experience. And it was obviously, you know, more professional, more bigger budgets, bigger opportunities to do different things. And, yeah, it was just it was amazing to be 23 and to realize that, like, you know, somehow being a, a passionate surfer had led me to an opportunity to, like, live in another country already at 23 and work for this magazine that I'd you know, been buying copies of since I was a kid in Australia. So it was really, really special. So surfing was available in Australia? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had hundreds and hundreds of magazines as a kid growing up in my room. Like I, I had piles. Where are they today? I gave them all. To, no, I gave them all to Al Hunt, who worked for the ASP. Yeah, he, ASP guy. He's also from Narrabeen, and he has a huge magazine collection. And at one stage when I'd left living in Australia, I – I, I caught up with Al and gave him hundreds of magazines at cool. for his collection. That's right, because the, you know they won't go anywhere. He'll hold on to them. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a you know everything from the history of surfing, every t-shirt, poster, magazine that's like ever happened. Is he like a historian? Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know how much stuff he has, but like from every event that would happen, he would get the event posters, t-shirts, whatever memorabilia from that event to keep, and he's been you know hoarding it forever. <laughs> so where's Al Hunt today? Good question. I haven't seen Al for a while. Um, I'm not sure. He was living on the Central Coast. But um, yeah, I haven't seen him for a few years, so I'm not sure. Hopefully he's doing well. Yeah, hopefully he is. But I hope that's, along with him doing well, I hope all that stuff he owns is doing well. Because that's like a museum, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm sure it's his retirement fund and he'll... <laughs> I'm sure he's, um, you know, sold Anyone off parts of it. Yeah, That's I mean, cool. it's it's so cool that he is, you know, kept all that stuff because you know, just like you're doing, like trying to archive stories yeah, and on, yeah. the history of like all the characters and the the different things that make the surfing culture what it is. It's like it's special. Like for people like you and I, it's special. So like, I love the chance to share memories and 
you know, things because it is, it's a special thing we get to do and be a part of. You're working at these magazines, Waves, Surfing Magazine. Is that taken away from your surfing or are you surfing more, do you think? It took away from my surfing. No two ways about it. Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because back when I was working at the magazines, like especially at Waves, like I was working 12 hours a day, every yeah. day. Like, and I was a kid. Like all my friends were like, I left surfing in competitions, you know, went to university. Then I started working at Waves. But all my friends and peers were like, that's when they were hustling on the QS to try to They're qualify. And, yeah. Ripping. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, and partying a lot. Like I wasn't partying. I was working wasn't surfing nearly as much. I was surfing around really good surfers when I surfed, but I, I definitely right. didn't surf as much during those years. I remember when I was at Surfing Magazine, that's kind of when I started realizing, you know, like, you know, I love surfing, but this is like a tease. Like I'm, I'm in an office all day long looking right. at photos of- Of your friends, friends or people you know. And like, you know, people I looked up to surfing right. the best waves around the world. And I was like, this is killing me. Like, I, I want to go travel. Yeah. I got super lucky. Like at that time, the next stage of my career came literally when I was at that place where I was about to quit my job. I was like, I, I just want to go travel. Like I don't want to be sitting in San Clemente in this office. I just want to go surf and travel around the world. And that's mm -hmm. when Graham Stapleberg, who was then the CEO of the ASP, basically you know, trying to figure out how to create a role for a representative of the surfers on the tour to help with the communication between you know, the sponsors, the media, the surfers and the organization. He kind of mentioned it to me. I was at the time really good friends with like Megan Abubu and Rochelle Ballard and they were aware of it and we were just like talking and, you know, next second I got offered the position to start doing that. So that's like I, I got to leave Surfing Magazine to work for the ASP. At the time, that was a job people thought I was really crazy to take, like to leave a magazine to go work for the ASP because at the time the magazines and the pro surfers didn't really like the ASP that much back then. Like as far as like the impression of the tour was like going to a lot of beach breaks and not right. good waves and like butts on the sand. There yeah. And there wasn't like the webcast yet. So people weren't that connected to what was happening. Yeah, there was no internet even barely. No, exactly. So you had to wait for your surfing magazine to see who won the OP pro or, or whatever. Or yeah. And J Bay or whatever. Exactly. And like, you know, those contest reports would maybe get a page or two out of the mag. The right. rest of it. Back. So the rest of it was just people surfing good waves. So like everyone's goal was to go surf good waves. But then I got so lucky, man. Like I was in the right place at the right time because I got to work on the tour because I wanted to go travel and I, well, I might as well get paid to go travel instead of just pay to go on these trips by myself. And right when I started working with the tour, that's when like Peter Whitaker got hired, then Rabbit Bartholomew came into it and the whole yeah. dream tour came together where we started going to like these pristine locations at the right time of the year. Right. Started changing the tour. Yeah, Mono Zool, perspective. Yeah. you know, brought in like the whole webcast technology and, you know, everything started evolving. And I, and I just got really lucky to be there at the right time when that was happening. So I got to travel to you know, like literally the dream tour locations. Um, so rad. And, and yeah, you got to surf more? Got to surf a lot more. So like, you know, <laughs> I, I did the right thing. <laughs> there you go. Let me bring this back to Surfing Magazine and the ASP, even the WSL today. Um, I'm finding it hard to go back and find information about pro surfers or even events, uh, documentation-wise. So did you think that maybe ASP – how do you find the archives? I guess I'm asking you more of a question. Like, 
it doesn't seem well documented. A lot of the events and well, it. I mean, look, I can only speak. For Server me. magazine kind of gives us the archives. Is what I'm saying. When I was working on the ASP, like, and when the you know internet came in, and then all the stuff started getting put in webcasts, like, you know, I was writing press releases every day of all those mm-hmm. events. Like, I was the media director for mm-hmm. seven years, traveling around the world after I was that surfer liaison. So, like, you know, I know personally, I wrote every day about those events, and that's okay. all archived. Like that. The okay, WSL cool. has it. How, where it's available, I don't know. But like, there you go. I literally yeah. have a hard drive that has like you know every single day's surfing report for you know eight years around every event so that wow. I that I wrote. So like, I know it's out there. I just don't know where you find it today. Yeah. Okay. Just a question I have. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, it's important. But at the end of the day, like everyone is so here and now. Like, there's so much going on today. Like, how many people are that interested? to really want to look back through some of that old stuff. I don't know, but like the visual stuff, you know, I, I traveled with Pierre Tosti and he was the, mm-hmm. the digital photographer for the ASP and, you know, his images were amazing. And like, he amazing, was like probably. helped pioneer that whole transition from like only seeing images once a month in a magazine to suddenly he was, you know, emailing him to newspapers and websites and magazines and people started seeing stuff daily and like, as it was happening and then like mm-hmm. obviously the streaming events come in and you could sit in your, you know, so technology helped a hundred percent. Yeah. It helped, it helped. And, you know, and then at some point it probably hurt. I think some of that diluted that significance of an event mm-hmm. happening where that's like the biggest thing happening and everyone's right. focused on what's going on there. Like, you know, there's so much happening now. It's like today it's like, What's happening in 50 different spots at once you want to know about because, you know, there's a swell there, there's a contest there, there's, yeah, and there's this pro surfer doing this or this personality over there who surfs doing this. Like, there's so much information and entertainment available. Yes. Like, I I, I don't have a clue. It's overwhelming. It is. It's overwhelming. Like, it's hard to stay up. You know, the magazines used to be the curator of our surfing culture, and now there's, like, everyone does that for themselves now. You had a magazine for a month. And you literally studied every photo, you know, and sometimes they'd sit on a coffee table and your friends would come over and they'd look last year's issue who was on the, each cover. Like covers meant things like you could be, you didn't have to be the, the world champ to be on the cover of Surfer Magazine. Yeah. I mean, look, magazines, I, they hold such a dear place in my heart. Like some of my best memories are still working at the magazines and holding magazines that I either worked on or that I just got to like, have as a kid because you know they were these like you know windows into other worlds there's like a portal to indonesia or a portal to hawaii and like a a little snapshot of this pro surfer's life a sense of how do you get to what they're doing on a wave and like all Mm -hmm. these things so like they were so precious to me back then and today like there's obviously the nostalgia now but they're to me they're just as special like you know i just saw like surfing world out of australia still exists this magazine that's been around 60 right. years and it's like they're holding on yeah and it's, it's so cool it's so cool and like you know surfers journal obviously here yeah. and and there's other magazines that are still out there but you know they're having like i said that sense of a curation of what's special right now and all being put together in like this thing that you that's tangible that you get to hold and you get to like really sit with and give it some time not just scroll through in a second or like right. watch something and, put it away. and then yeah. forget what you watch because you've watched 50 other things like it in the last 10 minutes or whatever those magazines they just they stopped you in your track 
and you you yeah. got to actually absorb something and like think about it and feel it in a sense on a different level. Fast forward till today, and we have the webcast, and we and the, those they're excellent. WSL is really good at you know showing us the events. And you said it does, or maybe you kind of feel maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it takes away from looking at the magazine. And what years were you in the magazine working? I was at Waves 95, 96. I was at Surfing okay. 97. But then the entire time, so from 98 till 2005, I was on the ASP. But while I was on the ASP, I also wrote for pretty much every magazine around the world. Like I was writing articles for magazines in Japan, in Switzerland, in Brazil, in Australia, in America. Like I was writing for, I, I, I got more connected to more magazines during that time because I was like traveling in that little circus of the ASP tour. Yeah. I was like at the epicenter where a lot of cool things were happening within surfing. So I got to share different stories or interviews and profiles on people with lots of people. You know, all those magazines were super dear to my heart at the time because they, they were like things that I was a part of. Did it make a difference that you knew how to surf well? the guy you were interviewing, let's say you you were picking an interview out. Um, maybe sometimes. I mean, I, I feel like it depends. Like if we're talking about the pro surfers who were, you know, the guys going maybe. for world titles, like, yeah. you know, Sonny Garcia comes to mind and obviously yeah. Kelly Slater and Andy Irons and all these great champions that I was around. You know, I don't think it made any difference to them because they were so competitive. They're looking at their peers who were like, the guys that were going for world titles against as far as who they yeah. respected from a surfing point of view. I think there was other surfers maybe that, you know, that I, that were my peers that I surfed with and maybe had a level similar to, uh, you know, I think most of the people in the surfing world that I was traveling with, you know, I would surf with them every day. So they knew I could surf. It wasn't, right. it wasn't like That's I was some right? like blow in who like they didn't know right. who I was that they wouldn't talk to from a, some sense of a respect. I wasn't competing against them. I had right. so much respect for them because they were the ones putting, you know, their career on the line every time they paddled out. Like I was going surfing with them, but you know, my career wasn't on the line whether I, I fell off on a maneuver or whether I like won that contest or or my sponsor was back of me the next event or not. It was like there's a, a different thing. Like I think clearly I am a surfer who puts my love of surfing into anything I'm doing. So I think I brought that into any situation and anyone I was talking to knew that from a standard of surfing. I don't know if it mattered whether I was getting a good wave or not okay. for them. It was, you know, okay. I, I just, I say that from the point of view of like those, those elite professional they're so surfers, good. of course they're, they're, yeah, they're on a so different good. level, like that competitive right. mindset. That's a different level. Like, you know, they, I, but I, they I want to know the guy that they're talking about surfing. I'm assuming knows how to stand up and surf. Yeah. And, you know, like, obviously I was an insider. You have respect. I wasn't like, I wasn't an outsider asking them the dumb questions that like a newspaper right. reporter might've asked them. Like they knew I knew what I was asking about because I was out okay. there surfing before the contest started with them. And, and as soon as the last hooter of the day went, I was at paddling out with them as well at whatever cool. venue. So, right. yeah. I think that's important. Along with that, were guys looking to you to write about them for publicity to help their sponsors, to help yeah, for sure. I think, you know, in the magazine days, more so than when I was on the tour, because when I was on the tour, I was writing about the tour and the tour surfers and those press guys. Releases. Yeah, press releases and profiles and interviews for the magazines. But those guys, they had already arrived. Like they were there. 
I think when I was at the magazine, it was more like I was maybe a, you know, a key turner for them to have a, you know, some exposure, which would help them get some better opportunities, whether it's sponsorship or travel or whatever. And, and yeah, for sure, I could see that people would, um, you know, obviously respect the fact that I could help them along that path if all the elements came together. But, you know, I was so young, I was just so stoked to be doing whatever we were doing that I never looked at it from that point of view. It was just like, I was just stoked to, if I could call up one of these surfers that I looked up to or that I was friends with and, and figure out how do we go do something fun together? How do we do a trip? There how do we go. get you in the magazine, do yeah. this? And it was a collaboration, which is, you know, the way it should be. Just wanting to do cool shit that was hopefully interesting to other people. And, you know, it was such a different time because like, and I say this a lot when I talk to people about those times, today like someone goes gets like an amazing wave of backdoor like we saw the other day mm-hmm. and the whole world seen it the same day back when i was working in a magazine like you know we would send a photographer and a group of surfers on a trip it'd be months before anyone else saw what happened on that trip <laughs> so it was like such a different but that's so cool too i mean i get both are cool yeah both ways totally it was just a different like it was it was more of a gamble back in the day because like you'd mm-hmm. send people on a trip and so many things or, well yeah the elements know. and you didn't even know if the film was going to come back if it was going to oh, get yeah, processed yeah. correctly and then like yeah. when you finally had everything ready to put in the magazine you know something else might have happened that bumped that whole thing out of even being in the magazine because a new thing just happened at, like in the last somewhere else whereas you know, now it's like whatever happens gets documented and everyone has the chance to push out whatever they want because it's there's more but, channels. But once again, the next day something else better happens or something different happens and you kind of forget what happened yesterday. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the people like the surfers, let's say, who travel and document some experiences and just hold on to it and then bring it yeah. out. Like I just watched last night that um, I'm going to say it wrong. The Torin Martin film with his girlfriend. Are um, they sailing around the world? Oh, it's amazing. I, I watched it last night. I started watching it with my daughter and then just so beautiful. The, like the journey and so well documented and like, you know, I hadn't seen any of that footage and it's like some of the best surfing and waves I could ever imagine watching or getting to surf in. And like the fact that they did that and, you know, didn't like, you know, dilute it by having, you know, all along what was going on. Like, that's really cool to me. Right. What would you summarize the years in surfing magazine as the biggest story of, of, of that era? Um, was it like the big waves are really coming on or, um, well, the momentum generation was definitely when I was at waves, that's when that was all happening. And, right. you know, Kelly had, and his whole group had kind of arrived on the scene and was like winning world titles and changing and the type of surfing was definitely, you know, a lot of different things. Like, you know, there was, I remember like the jaws footage of the strap surfers, um, Laird and those guys like doing stuff like that. And so many different things, like it too hard to sum it up in one little thing. Cause like, fair enough. You know, like I, Kelly was such a big part of that era when I was at the magazines because he was like, you know, just this wonder child who, you know, everyone knew was going to do good things and he was doing it. And so like that he was, he was definitely the focal point. Um, there was a lot of other stuff and amazing surfing and people doing things, but like, yeah, Kelly definitely summed up. I think the, the, the majority of the focus in his group. 
at that time. So you have a bunch of mostly American surfers, you know, doing the Taylor Steele films with a good clip with a good song or fast song. What was going on in Australia? What were you guys thinking? Because you were living in Australia at the time, you said. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was at Waves, 95, like Kelly had already won a few titles at that point. So, you know, the momentum generation had already been there for a few years, but like they had the attention is what I mean. Like there was amazing stuff in in Australia. Like obviously we had Shane Herring and Powell, like guys that you've had on the podcast. Um, You know, like there was such a strong talent pool in Australia, like a huge deeper talent pool, I would say at the time, but just the Americans had like got the attention. Like they had really through right. like Taylor Steele's movies and like through their success on tour, those guys really, they got the attention. They swung the pendulum to kind of get it to the young Americans at that point. Whereas, you know, I think that really helped the Australians though. I think at that point really, you know, bond together push and, and start pushing. Yeah. Really start kind of fighting back, so to speak. And, you know, there's so many good surfers in Australia. There always have been, there always will be. There's so many good waves. There's, the general surfing population is so much higher there than it is pretty much anywhere else. Maybe Brazil is, like, better now. I don't know. I don't live in Brazil to speak about it, but clearly, mm. like, they are producing nonstop good surfers. You know, they're so hungry for it. And they're, like, there's great surfing happening all over the world. Like I'm no expert on all of it, but I just, I see so much good surfing nowadays. Whereas, like I said, back in the day, there was, you just didn't have the exposure to see as much good surfing, except for what you saw in the magazines or what we got the privilege of seeing photos or some videos come in once in a while. Now it's like any day of the week, anywhere in the world, you could find good surfing on social media from people you'll never even hear their name mentioned in a conversation, but like a surfing better than I can. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's just so much, there's so much going on today in today's world boards. How do you pick your boards out today? Um, we'll switch subjects. Sorry. Well, no, that's fine. I mean, look, I'm a huge fan of surfboards and I have a huge quiver of surfboards, thankfully. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I mean, look, to me, surfboards are like those magic carpet rides and like I want to try them all. I, like, I, I'm not a high performance kind of thruster guy at all. I never really have been. Like I, mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of those boards, but like I've definitely spent more time on like fishes and I, I love quads and, you know, I've got every kind of board from finless boards to big wave guns and every fin set up i'm a huge you know, absolute fanatical kite surfer foiler uh, like i've got stand-up paddle boards i'll you know i'll wing foil kite foil prone foil stand like you know ride a inflatable mat like to me i'll go body surf like you know surfboards are they're such a special thing that gives you an opportunity to like have an experience in the ocean and there's not like i said back to that art comment like it's there's no wrong way to surf except not go surf. Like if you, the more boards you have and the more kind of things that inspire you to want to go out there, then you you got different ways to like a different paintbrush stroke on a, on a wave. I love looking at the conditions and going, okay, what's going to give me the most fun today? Cause I know in my surfing life that not one board is the right board for every condition. And so like, I look at the conditions and like, I I've never been that guy who's like, I'm only going to surf when it looks like this. I'm like, do I have time to go surf? Okay, I'm going to go surf. What's the surf looking like? What's the best thing I have now available to go have the most fun right now? And like, wow. you know, whether that's a, a longboard, a fish, you know, a performance board, 
a kite board, a foil board, a wing. It just depends on whatever the, the waves and the wind are doing. Does that help your surfing, doing the foil and the kite? Or does that kind of... Yeah, I mean, look, for me, yes, because the bottom line is there's no such thing as bad conditions. The conditions are always perfect for something. So, like, you know, the only thing that gets in the way of me having a good day at the beach is an injury. And, you know, I've been injured for, like, the last six months, basically, and, you know, it's been torture because every day, like, I could be having fun out there on one of the things in my garage. So it's okay, like so actually let me ask you about that. Yeah, you have like a was a shoulder injury or something? Yeah, I tore my labrum in my shoulder. Wow, that sucks. But let me ask you this. You've been so in surfing, so in the middle of it. It's been your life basically. Is it nice to have this little break or was it nice for a little while and now it's not? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all? <laughs> I hate it. Okay. It's torture. You know, like I again, I, I'm so addicted to the pursuit of being in the ocean and having fun you know i love it i I love it more today than ever and i appreciate the fact that i need to like rest and recover and like i've never been a surfer who wants to go be in the water eight hours a day like you know i okay i like to balance it like i want to be able to do other things in my day and in my life but like i want to be in the ocean every day and i want to like get the most out of every session i have so not being able to surf at all has been really, really tough. Tough on me, yeah. tough on my girlfriend, tough on the people around me for sure. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. You said the word addiction. Usually addiction is, can be a bad thing too. Oh, I think addiction is just, you know, it's a, it's a great word that describes that obsession that we can obsession. have with something that hopefully is a positive yeah. thing. Like, you know, I've, okay, had, cool. I've had addictions. It's a good addiction. I've had addictions that were negative things ultimately, but I don't think they began yeah. as a negative thing. Like, you know, well, of course. I, I was addicted for sure to alcohol and drugs, and I don't do either of those things now. But, like, yeah, you, you know, they were positive things in my life for a while. Like, I had a lot of fun drinking and partying and doing different Heck things. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. and then I realized, you know, those things are in the way of me doing other things that matter more mm-hmm. to me, whether it's yeah. like my surfing time, whether it's my family time. And so, like, you know, I, I've learned, and I think most people in their life, either learn to moderate or they learn to just eliminate things that are just Mm -hmm. in the way. And like, I'm one of those people and, you know, I'm not alone that is very, as soon as I find enjoyment, I want that all the time, as much as I can get of whatever it is. And I'll take it to the extreme. And then sometimes I've got to like, you know, wind it back a little bit and go, Mm -hmm. okay, I I see where I can take that. I don't need to go that far. So I've got to like moderate or just eliminate it if it's a problem altogether. Good for you. Yeah, good. So, yeah, I mean, addiction, like I love having healthy addictions. And like I love putting my attention into things that I see and not harming anyone around me and like ultimately helping me and helping me like share that stoke that comes from doing something obsessively that you get better at that ultimately brings you joy. So you bring it, you share in happiness with those people around you. And and that's, that's a, a good part of an addiction. I think is if you yeah. can, you know, share that love you have for something. Um, and, and like make you up. share with your daughter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like again, words have multiple meanings, but you know, for me, you know, when I say I'm addicted, like, I, I say that's like I have a healthy desire to do right. things okay. that yeah. are good for me. I just had to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, let's talk about your daughter real quick again. Are there days where she has too much homework or she's doing something else? Does she get eggy if she doesn't get out there and surf? Um, 
Not so much yet. She's definitely not okay. as obsessed as me. And, you know, her mother and I aren't together. And her mother, right. her mother actually grew up in Texas in Corpus Christi and worked in a surf shop and loves the surfing lifestyle, but isn't a surfer herself, really. Right. Um, so, you know, when she's with her mother, she doesn't surf. And when she's with but her me, mom she, understands the, the lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. And she's a big fan of her being a surfer and understands how healthy it is for her. Like, you know, right. especially I think in this day and age where our daughter has a, like a phone and most kids do these days. And like, you know, the addiction of social media and phones is like, you know, that's a really dangerous thing, I think. It can be. It can be for sure. Yeah. And it can be for anyone. But I think for like young, impressionable minds, it can kind of like get sucked down that whole rabbit hole of looking at what others are doing or what others have or what others are projecting that their life's all about and, and like wanting that, you know, having a healthy outlet like the ocean to get away from a device, get away from people and be, you know, challenged to like, have to like face some of your fears of dealing with the ocean and waves and elements and, and ultimately build some confidence in yourself. You know, it's such a grounding special thing. And and I think, you know, I know I feel that way and I know, you know, my daughter's mother feels the same way. And and I'm really grateful for that because, you know, surfing, like I said at the beginning, it's so little about what we do and the time we spend on waves. It's, it's the whole thing that goes into that pursuit of that. And that's even driving to the beach or, or walking. It's everything. Your suit on everything. The way you walk, it's like you know everything. The, the the clothes you wear, it's like you know it's your identity and how you your sense of yourself, you know, is is super important. And people who don't have a good sense of themselves get very easily lost, and you know, and and yep. kind of I agree. Maybe drawn have, down the wrong paths. Have you seen some of your friends that were hardcore surfers kind of lose the surfing bug? And has has their life changed? Yeah, you know, it's it's really sad. You know, I have. I've seen whether it's I've seen a lot lost to, you know, alcohol and drug abuse. I've seen, you know, I've lost a lot of dear friends to suicide. I've lost people who have just for whatever reason, whether it was injury mm-hmm. and then just like a lot of time went by where they couldn't surf and then they just, you know, right. they lost their fitness and then they lost the desire. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm super grateful for is that sense that I've always had such a love for surfing that I never cared what the conditions were like. And I never, I was never stuck in a mindset that I had to ride a type of board and do a type of surfing to be having a good surf. What that meant is I had a mind that was open to trying mm-hmm. everything, anytime, anywhere. And because of that, you know, it's, it's never gotten boring. It's always been, there's always been more to learn. There's, I've always humbled myself by wanting to try, you know, if I could go out and surf well on this board, I'd leave that board alone and go get a board that I didn't know how to ride and want to learn how to ride that board or go try right. to try something different like kite surfing and foiling and, and just keep it interesting. So I kept knowing there's more to learn and there's more stoke to get. And so many of my friends this, that were kind of in one lane you know, they kind of just got a little bored with it and, and maybe just like didn't keep yeah. that same passion. I mean, fortunately, stoke. yeah. And I mean, fortunately, a lot of my friends have the same stoke I have and are, are frothing today like they were. You put when yourself we were around those people, it seems like. Yeah, because it's infectious. Like, you know, I yeah. want to be around people that spur me on to do more and, and I hope I do that for other people. Like, you know, it's I love seeing people who are like the biggest groms when they're in their 50s and their <laughs> yeah, 60s. Of like, you know, they all do. Yeah. Right. They motivate us. Yeah. All right. Let's change subjects real quick. I feel like you're a good guy to ask. Is pro surfing going in the right direction today? 
from think about the ASP days when you were, you know, hands on inside to where WSL is today. Look, I don't know that I can answer that on all levels because like from my perspective, like I was saying before, I think pro surfing is trying to, you know, they're trying to obviously have a business and they're trying to showcase a type of surfing at the highest level. And I think they do that like on, you know, they do that kind of competitive surfing aerial maneuvers in like a trestles like wave. They're, They're highlighting that. I think, you know, there's a lot of debate and I, you know, I pay attention to all the different opinions and, and I, I could easily be swayed to think this way or that way. But like, ultimately I still watch the events. I still care. We so, all do. So I think, you know, they're not failing in the sense of, um, keeping us entertained. I think, you know, the, there's different things like, again, I, I'm a big fan of the variety of waves and the variety of surfing that is possible around the world by the best surfers. And so I think, you know, I don't think I'm alone in saying that, like, I love the, the WSL's trestles finale event format, but I don't, I don't love it for deciding the world champion. I love it as a format for an event, a one day event where you get to see it come down to the pinnacle in the last heat. But I love also realizing that the world champion, you know, was having to surf Chopu and Pipe and Jay Bay and, and like, succeed. Exactly. And, and be tested in all these different things over many different times to be able to be called the best surfer of that year's season. But, you know, I'm not against the that final five format at all. I think it's super exciting and it's just, you know, I, I, I applaud people for trying different formats and doing different things. I don't think anything is the only way to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think this has been no different to other experiments. They're trying it and, you know, maybe they're doing it longer than I would maybe do it, especially at just trestles because, you know, that wave suits some people better than others. And that's like any, anyway. Yeah, like no one's beaten Toledo probably. I mean, yeah. He's be- he's beatable. I mean, look, I think it's I think it's a great venue, no doubt about it. 100%. It's, it's it's a and it's a great contest to watch, no doubt about it. But you know, it, to me You got to mix it up a little. Exactly. Like there's other waves, there's there's other ways it could be done and you know, I'm not the one having to make the decision, so I'm not about to like critique them on doing what they think right. works for them right now and I'm sure it'll change and I'm a fan of watching great surfers and the better the waves they get to be in the better the surfing generally is so like i but do you ever watch the qs's or the the challenger series too i do if um if i'm aware of an event that's on at a time but not as much you know because i I think it's probably more just to do with my age and like the people that i'm friends with and who i'm who i see surfing like you know like taro watanabe is a a dear friend of mine Yeah, like, so good like I, I've been surfing with him since he was getting pushed into waves by his dad at Topanga. And so, like, if he's in an event, I'll like, obviously I'll want to watch him and yeah. cheer for him. But, like, I don't know most of those kids that are out there trying to compete on that level anymore. So it's like right. I, I don't have the same affinity to it. But, you know, right. I'm sure if my daughter becomes friends with That's people, what I was going to say. Your daughter's going to – in the next five years, you're going to see – Yeah. be friends with all these – I Ladies. think I think that's yeah. the way it works. So the cyclical, like the cyclical right. nature, sorry, of like yes. just the generations and like that's you're in, just the you're way in the mix. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I think for sure 
every year there's new people coming onto the CT that I, you know, I don't know their history, but I'm a huge fan of them as soon as I see they're surfing. Like, so it's like, yeah. it's not to me a question of whether I'd want to watch a QS event or a challenger event. Like the answer is I want to watch good surfing wherever it's available to me to see it when I have the time. Surf media. What's your thoughts on surf media today? Look, I'm a huge fan of Stab TV. Like I, I watch all the stuff, the, the content that Stab's putting out. I think is amazing. It's unique. Yeah. I like it. It's who's curating stuff is the question. Like I don't, I don't know if I'm seeing it all. Like there's different stuff on obviously people have YouTube channels. There's so, so many much. different Instagram. Once again, going back to so much. Yeah. And, and I don't think I'm the most you know, up to speed person on what's out there to see. Like I, I mm-hmm. see what I see and I'm always entertained right. and I'm pretty easily entertained because I love surfing. So it's right. like, if, you know, like I think there's, there's some outlets which do some great stuff. I love listening to podcasts if I'm driving. I love watching surfing content if I'm at home. I'm I'm on yeah. my phone more than I want to be looking at what's out there. But you know, I'm 49. I'm not like I'm not yeah. up to speed on what the teenagers are, are putting out there on a daily basis. That's for sure. Wave pools. Yeah, I, I wish I had one of my You're backyard. Those things. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have not spent nearly enough time in most of them. I've only been, I've been to Kelly's a but few times. But you've been to them, so that's that's the first thing. That's so rad. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've got to go to Kelly's a few times, and I've actually even got to surf it with my daughter, um, and I've got to that's cool. the Surf Lakes one up in Yapoon. How good's that one? I, I love that one. I, I was yeah. born in that town, believe it or not, in Yeah, Yapoon. yeah, yeah. I read that on your Instagram. Yeah, so that was super special to get. I've been there twice with my girlfriend that was amazing just to go back to where I was born and go there with her and then to get to surf it. You know, the first time I got to surf it with Aki and Dingo um, and then the next time with Steph Gilmore and her dad and, you know, super cool. Just that wave to me, it's, that's, you know, closer to my heart because like I said, I was born in that town, but also the format of how you have a prejudice towards it. Well, just the, you know, Kelly's wave is a better, wave in the sense that it's like obviously goes for a minute it's an incredible barrel yeah it's like ridiculous how good it is but Mm -hmm. it's surreal and you know you're not in the environment that you feel like you are when you go to the beach and you're surfing at at the surf lakes which it's only a prototype it's not open unfortunately for the public to be using but it's you know this circular venue that breaks when you're out in the middle looking at the shoreline so you're looking at land and like kind of it has a fa- yeah, it has a familiarity to like, and the pace of the wave, how it breaks. It's like you paddle for this swell that breaks, like a normal wave does, and it's it's short. Like you get a barrel, you can do a couple of turns, and that's it. <laughs> it looks so good. Yeah, it's sick. But you know, I haven't been to the other ones. There's a lot of amazing wave pools, and you know, yeah. I haven't been to the other ones. I, I I would love to go to all of them because you know, I want to. Like I said, I want to surf every day, and I want to play around as much as I can. Yeah, would you be stoked to have one of those in your backyard or something, you know, one day? A hundred percent, you know, who wouldn't? It's amazing that like how they're they're popping up in more places. And I think it's really cool. Like, I think it's cool that good surfers are coming from places that, you know, never would have otherwise. Like I've, I've had the privilege of watching people who literally like, you know, these are people who have done really well in their life financially, who can afford to go to places like Kelly's Wave Pool and surf it you know, as the only place they're going surfing. Like they'll go once a month to Kelly's place, like to the surf ranch, 
and like they're ripping and like they're not even surfing in the ocean and it's it's hard to understand how that's possible but I, I can't wrap my head around it personally but like i've seen it with my own eyes like guys yeah, who, who literally will put in a two-day dedicated surf weekend once a month and have coaches watch videos and study what they're doing and get you know the best help they can get to improve their technique and what they're doing and uh, you know it's undeniable it's they're surfing better every time uh, as a result so going backwards way back to documenting surf history and stuff and how important is to be a surfer and to know your history well look i mean i i feel like i have a fairly decent sense of surf history and it's imp- it's important to me like i, I don't know how important yeah. it is to anyone else like you know it's my culture i feel like as i said to me being a surfer is about a sense of my own identity like it's who i am in, okay. a- in anything i do whether i'm you know doing a job so you don't judge anybody else well i i just i don't live in anyone else's shoes so like that's true at the end of the day it's like I try to promote the fact that I'm proud to be a surfer. It doesn't matter what job I have. I'm a surfer first and foremost. And I, I carry that sense of my understanding of this world by being a surfer into anything I do. So, you know, I'm interested in the culture that came before me, what's happening now and ultimately where it's headed. And, uh, and I hope I get to, you know, play a part into my later years of like helping educate others of what I've been a part of if I can. But, you know, ultimately just trying to share the stokes so people want to keep taking care of this lifestyle that is like looked after me since the second I started going to the beach. And, you know, I just feel lucky that like I found something that I know is special for me and has continued to be special. Like, you know, I've had highs and lows throughout my life and surfing's always been there to make me feel supported. And I guess my question is at Malibu in the middle of the summer where maybe a 30 year old that's learned how to surf if they knew the culture a little more, if they knew the history, maybe they wouldn't be, I don't know, oblivious or, or disrespectful, I guess. But that's my own take on it. Yeah, look, that's talking about Malibu in the summer and the crowds in this day and age. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. And, you know, I, I think it's a big can of worms opening up about, like, how we talk about, like, what to do about that. But, you know, the reality is Malibu it, in the summer has it probably changed. It's been that way since the 50s or 60s. It's always been crowded. Maybe. But I think, you know, nowadays is, like, people – who show up just don't seem to leave as quick. Like it's, it's easier to, it's easier to stay involved. Like there's, you know, surfing is more accessible with softboards and with like, you know, knowing what the surf's like everywhere and coaches and, and, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more things that support being able to stay a surfer these days. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Malibu and LA where I live, like, you know, we don't get a lot of swell, unfortunately. So like, you know, when there's big swells, I think that like, that's the humbling factor that a lot of people get kind of reminded, oh yeah, you need to do some like practice. You need to get educated on how to deal with this. Like when the waves are like one to two foot and you're on a softboard, like, you know, anyone can do it all the time. There's no risk. It's like, other than running into each other, but you know, I don't have the solution other than I I do myself a favor and avoid going to places that just get me frustrated and try to just, (laughs) I I'd rather surf worse waves alone than be in those I mean environments. Too. Like it's just, it's not going to help me or anyone if I'm out there getting frustrated. But you got to drive by Malibu sometimes and be like pulling your hair out. Like, dude, it's so good. But yeah, look, when I moved to LA like 18 years ago, I, like I was just blown away at how good a wave it was. And I would go yeah, out there and such get, a rippable wave. It's so good. I mean, it's, it's a, it's literally like a, 
it's the surf ranch. When it's good, it's a world-class way that just peels perfectly. But there's like, you know, a hundred people in the way that shouldn't be out there who are trying to drop in on you like that's what you do. And it's like you can't fight it, but you can – you can either go out there with the attitude that, okay, I'm going to experience that for a little bit or you right. can just avoid it and it's yeah. it's not that hard to avoid. Like, Perfect. you know, I go other places and do other things. Some of your jobs in the surf industry, like so you have Insight is the big one, right? Yeah, I did Insight after the ASP and that's what brought me to LA like 18 years ago. Is Insight still happening in Australia? Uh, the brand still exists, but it's okay. owned by different people. None of the original okay. people are part of it today. And, um, yeah, it, it still it's does different. well out of, like, you know, the store, I think, General Pants that runs it in Australia. But, yeah, I have no connection to that brand anymore. But I guess the, my question is, we are talking about all of those subjects. What do you think about the surf industry, like, business-wise? Um, you know, I, I think it's sad. I think it's sad that, like, a lot of the – the big brands have some level been homogenized and kind of owned by whatever investment kind of firm that's owning right. it. And a lot of the culture and the core of those things has gotten either diluted or completely kicked to the side. Um, mm-hmm. I'm such a big fan of the industry that gave me a chance and mm-hmm. has supported me and supported my life and you know my family in a sense. But it's hard to watch some of those things change and not be saddened by like the changes that you realize means like people aren't going to have similar opportunities that I had. But, you know, at the same time, I will say there's always new opportunities popping up for brands to like to find the cracks that are forming every time there's a change. You know, my daughter just last weekend was up in Ventura for that brand former. Did yeah. a, they the did Dane a, brand? yeah, Dane's brand did a, a video of um, a surfer, up there and like my daughter was so stoked to go there with one of her friends and they watched the video and there was like all the venture yes. crowd was there and you know it was a surf party watching a surf event no different than i grew up doing so like right that essence of that still exists and and you know those grassroots sort of way of building a brand culture and and mm-hmm. getting the community involved and supporting surfers and it's still alive and well. It's just, you know, it goes through these ebbs and flows and like the big brands got massive. They did an amazing job to do that. And then, you know, some of those have ultimately gone through changes, which, you know, I I wish hadn't happened for a lot of my friends that have lost jobs and a lot of people that, you know, things change at the end of the day. It doesn't mean there's not new opportunities for people who have got that desire and the creativity to get out there and, and try to create something special like you know cool. it, yeah i agree with you everyone is just as interested in the lifestyle it's just figuring out new ways to market that in a way that you know there's some sort of product or brand that goes with it do you think that surfing needs to be marketed no the essence of surfing doesn't no okay i don't think like I say that and it's twofold though, because like had surfing not been marketed, you know, I don't know how well I would have found a path in it, but like at the same time, true, the, true. you know, there's surfing and there's the, the lifestyle of surfing and there's the industry of surfing and they're, and they're all related, but they're not all the same thing. So, right. you know, right. like the marketing of surfing, no, we don't need to propaganda the, like the need to go buy the latest thing and to, 
overpopulate the next location. We don't need to do that for surfing to be healthy, but for there to be an industry for people to have a job where they're they're working towards that passion and that lifestyle, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty razor edge, so to speak. Um, yes. Of like what what's too far and what's not enough. I don't right. Know. You never know until it's happened. Yeah. I mean, look, I think anything done with respect to the fact that like, you know, surfing is a lifestyle and it's not about the product. It's, you know, there's certain things we need to do it, but you know, it's, it's not just about that. It's a, it's about respect. It's about, you know, taking care of the environment that we are in when we're out there and the community that's around it. It's about definitely welcoming people to come experience the fun that's available, but teaching people respect. So like everyone gets to enjoy it and not leave with a, you know, with a bad experience because of like, you know, people coming with the wrong attitude to what it's all about. So the essence of surfing, a walk on water, something that, that truly shows that surfing can put a smile on someone's face yeah thanks for bringing up a walk on water you know i'm so grateful to be a part of it you know yeah a walk on water is an organization you know like there's a lot of them around the world nowadays which are just you know people trying to figure out how do we help other people get to experience surf therapy which you know that's what we all get out of it like every time we go to the beach or we go in the water it's like we're getting therapy for our lives like we're we're feeling better we're getting to be healthier and and unfortunately a lot of people are born with or have experiences happen in their life where they're, you know, unable to do that by themselves very easily. And so like, you know, I've been fortunate. I remember going to an event, you know, in Australia, where, like I think when I was 20, Barton Lynch was part of it. It was like for blind surfers. And we took people who were blind surfing, being part of like Life Rolls On with Jesse Billauer and helping people with spinal cord injuries, getting to go surf and had a lot of dear friends that have, you know, suffered spinal cord injuries and being able to take them in the water. And it's just you know, it's such a beautiful thing. And then a walk on water, I've been volunteering for years with them, um, you know, like taking people with unique needs. Like it doesn't mean it could be whatever, whatever thing that is stopping or making it harder for them to have the opportunity to go enjoy the lifestyle that we all can easily take for granted, which is just Mm -hmm. going down to the beach and go catch a wave, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to take kids especially, but, you know, fully grown adults as well that have like, you know, whether it's mental or physical disabilities that are, or any sort of condition that just makes it harder for them. It's such a special thing. And, you know, it's it's infectious, the stoke that you get from them, from their families, and from all the volunteers who come out and help make these events. Like, you know, for Walk on Water events, which I've, you know, I've been very involved with, especially the last year, you know, it's just incredible. It's such a humbling thing that I get to share what has been so easily come my way in my life to right. be able to go enjoy yeah. the ocean and, and just help others get to do that and, and you know watch tears on the faces of these kids and their families especially it's pretty cool it's so invigorating for me and everyone else like you, you just feel so good to be a part of that experience and and realize how easy it is to do that how easy it is to just go you know lend a few hours to helping other people get to just have this moment which is like the highlight of their their month their year yeah. whatever it is yeah, um, 100% and it, you know it's as simple as them sometimes just paddling in the ocean not even catching a wave or catching a wave and then like realizing they can do this too like they can like whether they're laying down sitting up standing up falling off it's just playing it's just like feeling free to go play in a safe place with support and um yeah it's it's a really special thing and um, I'm really That's proud so to right. be a part of it you guys, a lot of them were volunteers that had that help in this organization, right? 
Oh yeah, it's all volunteers. Like yeah. you know, it, we'll have hundreds of people show up in an event to help out from everything from beach safety to helping put on wetsuits to you know people feeding us to the surf therapists who are in the water with the kids to you know the people who are pulling oh there's so many elements that come together to make the events happen we have like music therapy and art therapy and you know so many sponsors and vendors that all come together just to like ensure that this one day can happen so those families and those kids are supported to live a little and 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 have these like awesome experiences at the beach yeah Yeah. such so awesome any uh of the walk on water events coming up soon are you guys do mostly in summer Mainly some, like we just did our last one at Malibu. Like the next yeah. one will be starting probably in March next year. Cool. Um, and like, you know. Th- I'll post the website on there. Yeah, yeah thank you. I mean, yeah, we'll, we're just finalizing next year's calendar. But we, you know, it'll be mainly Southern California from like Del Mar up to Pacifica and events all through throughout the area. Um, we also do them in Montauk and Rockaway and New Jersey. Wow. But, you know, like. Southern California is, I mean, it was founded in Malibu and like this whole area um, is definitely like the home base of a walk on water. But, you know, it's just, it's all about the communities. It's a, you know, it's about trying to find those communities in different beach locations that we can help empower. So this becomes like an opportunity for them to support the wider community and like these families with like kids of unique needs and bring them all together and, and just share the stoke. Right on. All right, everybody. Well, Mike and Jesse, want to thank you for coming and listening, and uh, we're out of here. Thank you, guys. Until next week. See ya. What a fantastic sunny day. Boys and girls hanging around. Surfers going up and down. That's when I cut my wave. Knew what to do. Surf that wave right to the shore. And it's dreams come true. guys endless summer box set this thing is legit it's authentic numbered certificate in it it has a five frame film strip from the original print you will literally own a piece of history it has a specially minted bronze medallion dude that thing's sick okay there's so much more here go to the show notes there's a link on there Go check this piece of history out. This thing's rad. Seriously. Smithsonian American History Museum has it. It took four years of research with 3.5 in production. All hand assembled. This thing's rad. So much to this awesome box set.
remastered DVD, sharper images than the original film. But dude, this thing's so sick. Link in the show notes.